would like to introduce our next guest to the studio, who also works in independent media, <laughs> Viv Langford, a presenter for another radio, community radio station, Melbourne's 3CR, which celebrated 40 years of radical radio in 2016, which is quite an achievement in itself. Viv, your own show is called Beyond Zero. Tell us about that. Well, it's a climate action show, and I've been doing it for 10 years, and it belongs to what's sponsored by the group Beyond Zero Emissions, and they are a think tank in Melbourne that are trying to push forward the idea that it's really doable to reverse climate change by just taking pragmatic action, and they print a lot of publications, and... Uh, <clears throat> publications that are rather hard to read. So the radio program is a sort of bridge between the hard to read, very well researched documents and the public who is thinking, oh, climate change, it's all too hard and our normal, you know, the mainstream media which just loves to set up all these straw men and fight over issues. But really there's a lot of pragmatic paths forward and we've just done a report, for example, on the Million Jobs Plan and I think really the government with its gas-led recovery hasn't, you know, they're not connected to the right people because there are a lot of jobs in other things, not gas. And um, we, we sort of interview the activists. I interview a lot of community people, anti-coal, anti-gas, all around New South Wales. I have travelled around, I've been all around South Australia interviewing people about the renewable energy down there and Wyala. Port Augusta, and we're seeing the transition. I'm seeing the transition, and over the 10 years I've seen a lot happening, but it's not really mainstream yet. It's a pity because people don't know that well, it's this happening. Is, yeah, this is, this is the problem in a way. There are um, still quite a lot of important people in denial about climate change. And I th what, what struck me about this most recently is the Santos Narrabai coal, coal gas project. What do That's you make right. of that? I, I'm, I make a, a, a great... Um, <laughs> gesture of pride to all the people who are listening to this who've been part of trying to stop that because there have been thousands and thousands of them and um, there's a big day of action tomorrow online because under COVID we can't do too much outdoor protesting but the New South Wales government has just passed that over enormous opposition, thousands of, subs uh, you know, protest um, submissions, not just, just uh, off the top of their <laughs> head, but researched ones, you know. Yeah, so those who don't get this, give us the main argument against it. Gas is a greenhouse gas. Methane comes out of it. It's in short terms a very big climate um, forcer and we can't afford to open 850 gas wells in Narrabri and then that's the Trojan horse for further west in Northern Territory where you've got the Beetaloo Basin, very remote people also protesting but not so well connected as those people who've got city friends and so on. Very remote areas and there's an absolute king's ransom in gas under this country. You know, we can go on for hundreds of years exploiting it but we must not. It must stay under the ground. Well, isn't, isn't there a case <coughs> that it's really not a very good business proposition even these days? It's going to be a stranded asset, according to the financial people. And we've interviewed Tim Buckley from IEFA. He's a great authority on that. And he's, oh, no, it's you know, wags his head like that. It's just such a you know, stranded asset. And we're going to be cut off at the pass by the world community eventually. Now with Biden in America, trillions into renewable energy, we're going to find that where there are tariff walls against our products that are, that are carbon intensive. But we're also going to find our exports are not wanted. I don't know about gas so much, but coal... Japan's just started to say they're going to phase out our imports. South Korea next, and China's already. 
doing it. I just want to bring Peter in now because yes, you've been looking at this, really Peter. It's really interesting that uh, you've you mentioned <laughs> this because um, I've re I read a, an article by uh, Bernard Keane in, in crikey.com and the, the heading was Global Tariffed, the only way to end Australia's climate credibility. And I was absolutely drawn into this article with the, with the opening uh, piece that with a corrupt political process and a media industry pushing climate de denialism, the chances of Australia embracing efficient, uh, effective uh, climate action appears slim. The rest of the world is therefore justified in punishing a country that is becoming a climate criminal. And when I read this, I was quite taken aback by by that argument, uh, but it makes sense. Yeah. And as, you, as you've mentioned, that the, um, our major trading partners are actually establishing sort of uh, minimum standards uh, of, uh, you know, in, in relation to zero carbon emissions, uh, are, are, are establishing them or announcing their intention too. And, and as you said, you know, with, with, with the recent uh, drought, and the catastrophic bushfires that destroyed millions of acres of, uh, of land and, and, and native animals, uh, with hundreds of people uh, dying as a result of that poison yeah. there, and thousands being ad admitted into, into hospitals. Our government's position, in fact, has retreated further from a climate action. Would you say that? Yes, I think so, but I don't think shame and morality is going to be the way to convince them. I don't think that will mollify them. They've got thick hides, but financial pressures will. You know, when our, our exports are no longer wanted, China's already showed us they didn't want our barley at one stage, yes. and, oh, that's a big shock. They didn't want to take our rubbish. What if they don't want to take our coal? What if other people don't want our gas? I think that's the way it's going to happen, mm -hmm. and shaming them won't do it. But meanwhile... What I try to report on on the community radio is that there are lots of Australian citizens. I would reckon there's, you know, over 50 or 60 per cent of yes. the people, even the way they voted the last election, despite that, I still think people get it about yes. climate change. We're way ahead of where the government is. And, and this thing about climate criminals, I, yeah. I, that's not new for me. I've interviewed people in other countries like Bangladesh who, who do literally call us climate criminals yeah. and Pacific Islands, you know, Anante Tong from Kiribati, he just said, you're, you're climate criminals. I'm begging you yeah. to stop your ex exports. They are sinking our islands. Yeah. And I think that kind of pressure internationally eventually mm. will build up yeah. to put us in the cold because mm. at the moment we are just isolated with the petro states like yeah. Saudi Arabia and Russia yeah. you know that's we're in a very small club of people who still um, yeah, it's interesting you mentioned uh, because in Keane's article he argues that over half Australian voters believe uh, that we're not doing enough in relation to climate change and 70% support zero uh, net zero emissions target I mean it's clearly an undemocratic uh, sort of ideological driven sort of uh, agenda that the Morrison-Taylor uh, solution, as you said, uh, mm. that they see it as being a, a gas-led recovery. But the governments um, have to be uh, more courageous because I interviewed the main candidates before the last election. Yes. I remember the Labour Party, Mark Butler, I interviewed mm. him and I like him. He's always 
gives us a good amount of time. He gives a very detailed, yep. well-researched answer. But he, I said to him, but, you know, you've got a good climate policy. Morrison seems to have mm. nothing much, nothing mm. really detailed. But what about the $1.3 billion you want to pay to export that gas from Northern Territory? And he yeah. just he just fluffed it. He just fluffed around and said, oh, there'll be all sorts of environmental objections and sort of hoping it'll never happen. But mm. you can't go to... to uh, an election with a policy that's too bob each way. No. I don't think they need to be more courageous and it's up to us, the community people, to yeah. to force their courage, you know. And I, I think that's right because they have... I think the, the Labour Party's got a similar problem with, you know, say, for example, the AWU and the mining division of the CFMEU opposing effective uh, climate action. Uh, and as well as you mentioned some of its own sections in the Labour Party who who are basically uh, climate deniers, uh, and and it does need courage. And I mean, how, you know, how how long can we can we go on in this impasse, really? Uh, because it's been decades in this country where this debate's been going on. Can can we go on without? I mean, what Keane's calling for at the at the end of the article is for global sanctions in the form of tariffs on every Australian export, not just the limited range of energy-intensive products identified by the EU, uh, and uh, to make up for the lack of action, he argues, is economically justified and morally compelling. Mm -hmm. Now, th th some people in the, uh, on the right are saying this is treacherous, this is, this is betraying our national identity, but I would put it the other way, and I think by, by the sound of it, you would as well, in terms of where you're coming from in this argument. Yes, it's treachery, but it's ignorance. You know, it's the, you don't want to see the, the world war coming towards you, so no. you say peace in our time. Yeah. It's that sort of story. And we, we need to look at the people who are actually rolling out a lot of things. There's a huge expertise in Australia. Mm. Up in the north of Western Australia, there's a great plan to pipe energy across yes. to Singapore and to Jakarta, mm. um, wind, and, and yeah. wind and solar energy. Uh, there's hydrogen coming up. There's a lot of expertise. Yes. BZD again did a report on the Northern Territory mm. call, I forget how many gigatons, because I'm not very technical, but it was something like the 20 gigaton vision or mm. the 90 gigaton vision. I'll, they'll shoot me for getting it all wrong, but it was a huge gigaton vision of what yes. they can export yes. instead of gas. So it's just like changing the narrative, as everyone says, change the narrative. I don't believe in vilifying people and saying, you know, you're treacherous and you're an idiot. Mm. I don't like that. I just think, come on educate ourselves, but, educate each other and move along. Yeah, but I, I think media coverage of this is, is part of the problem. And it is. I want to read you something, but Peter, I, I better give you this pass so that you can let Trish into the building. <laughs> see, I don't want to see the MP locked out of the building. Thanks, Peter. Yeah, so the story told, and I didn't really want to talk about Trump at all today because we heard quite enough of him. <laughs> I've but forgotten that, him. That was typical of, of a politician in denial about what's happening and with a huge amount of potency. And one of the reasons, I think, one of the biggest reasons, and I hadn't realised how big the power of Murdoch's Fox was, Fox News, in America. I knew it was big, but I hadn't realised exactly what it was doing until I read this article in the current issue of the uh, London Review of Books by Deborah Friedel. And she refers to Brian Skelter's new book, quotes, hoax Donald Trump Fox News and the Dangerous Distortion of Truth. And 
this book argues that through the topics chosen by producers, through the coaching of the hosts, and through the feedback on Twitter, Trump learned how to be the Fox News president, unquote. People think he's calling up Fox and Friends and telling us what to say, a former producer told Skelton. Hell no, the opposite. We tell him what to say. Trump was never Trump's never disappointed them on race, immigration, healthcare, climate change. And uh, it goes on. Trump is known to watch so much Fox News up to seven hours a day, coded on his schedule as executive time, that some advertisers farmers seeking subsidies, airlines opposed to foreign subsidies, the National Biodiesel Board, have produced commercials just for him, etc. So what that tells me, <laughs> Fox News was telling Trump what to say. That's how powerful they became. Now, even though we know he lost the last election, there was still a huge number of people who voted for him. And in this country, Murdoch media is still very powerful People talk about Sky News, oh, the ratings, particularly Sky After Dark, when it gets quite rabid, are low. But it's now going out free in the regions, and the model is very much the same as Fox News in America. Oh, you get a shock jock on the radio, and you put him on TV and let him go for it. And who have they got at 8 p.m. at night but Alan Jones? And the other thing is that although their ratings aren't big, um, they are big, when you go to what they're doing on, on YouTube. So this is why I think there's another battle to be fought, and it's in, it's in letting people know what's really going on, trying to get the truth through. Well, that's where the community radio comes in, and I would say community radio, they're always, um, you know, doing radiothons to get fun <laughs> funding and getting government grants and so on. It's a pathetic thing. But I do think when I go to Melbourne and I listen to 3CR, I listen to a gamut of programs, I feel like I'm in another country. I just feel like I've come into another part of Australia where all the radical ideas on all sorts of issues are aired and it creates a whole fabric in my mind that's a lot more liberated and a lot more tolerant, a lot more sort of curious. You know, what, what do you make, incidentally? And so I, I wish we had more community radio like that. I think in Sydney the community radio scene isn't very good. It's all, like you said, he, you know, difficult transmission. It's hard to get. It's on FM. Oh, it's pathetic. We need much more effort put into, say, community radio like that. And it's an amazing thing to me without any governance, not like nobody's breathing down your... No one's censoring your program. But we all seem to conform to this incredible integrity and re well-researched. No, I don't hear any fake news on, on there. You know, it's, it's what? deep what? and it's uh, thoughtful and it's alternative and it's sort of independent. So I just feel put more effort into that. And I think probably on the internet that's true too because there's lots of YouTubes. I listen, for example, to the ones by Extinction Rebellion because they're pushing the envelope in so far as climate action. It's, it's a rebellion. It's not we're not protesting. We're not sending you a, you know, a thing with 20,000 signatures. We're, pro we're rebelling. We're sticking ourselves onto your building. And I listen to their YouTubes and that... That expands my mind again. So yep. that's a, a, you know, people have a chance to also look at, listen yeah, well, to other stuff too. That, that's that's terrific. But what do you make of, say, Kevin Rudd's um, call for a royal commission into the media, which is backed up by his old adversary Malcolm Turnbull? 
Do you think we need some sort of inquiry into Oh, yes, definitely. But if if they're uh, honour-bound to act on the recommendations, (laughs) look at the inquiry into our old age care and and then we had COVID and it was exposed very big time. We're about to talk to Trish about bushfire inquiries. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. so you have a Royal Commission, but if, if... Nothing's going to happen as a result. Oh well, waste your money. But no, we need we need absolutely to be blown wide. And we, to, one of the main things I think we need is an expansion of our democracy, which is a subject for another day maybe. But you know where you have. I did a program on citizens' assembly, and I interviewed the French people involved in that, and some people in Hungary, and they have been having citizens' assembly, paid for for the government, feeding into the government in the case of France on climate citizens' assembly on climate over nine months. 150 people chosen like a jury and they were informed they could call any expert in. And then I interviewed this woman after it's all happened and I said, what's the COVID relief, the COVID economic recovery looking like in France? Which I knew because I'd seen it on the news. She said, oh, they, they adopted most of our, many of our recommendations. And she said, and we have the ear of the government. We're a privileged group. She said, we have to be very responsible about this. But she said, we have the ear of the government. She said, I can write an email to the President Macron. He replies to me. And I thought, for goodness sake, well, this would be great, wouldn't it? Like the bushfires. I would love down the south coast, for example, to have a a citizens' assembly on forestry management, for example. All the people I meet down there, they're tearing their hair out. They're traumatised. And yet still they're logging this burnt-out forest. Well, that's actually our our next subject uh, with Trish (coughs) Doyle. But um, I'd like to thank you, Viv, for coming in today. My pleasure. Next time you're up in the mountains, (laughs) come and see us. I will. Um, before, could I yeah, just sure. advertise that day of action oh, yeah, just do. for listeners? Do, do. If you're listening in the Blue Mountains, you can still do it because they're doing it in, in every everywhere. It's an online day of action tomorrow, Saturday, uh, 28th of November, and it starts at 7.30 a.m., goes all day, and you just go to the website of National Day of Action, 28th of November, 2020, and it's about the Gas project, it's about the gas-led recovery, not having that. That's about survival, I think. So please join in with that and see if there's some uh, other actions that they suggest. There'll be loads of ideas in there for people to take action. Many thanks, many, many thanks, Viv. Uh, this is Right Thoughts and Rants coming up to five o'clock. Before we go, we should also acknowledge Blue Mountains Unions and community member Jan O'Leary for writing an excellent submission on our behalf about the Narrabri gas fields. I'm not sure if I've put it up on our website yet. I'll have to. I'll, I think I'll have to do that. Um, yes, we got some really good feedback from yep. members that read it, and uh, yeah, but it was ignored, just like everybody else's <laughs> don't, was. Don't, they're, they're, the main thing they're saying is don't take this lying down. They may may have ignored all of that. It, it, it may become a national disgrace, but it must not go ahead. Yeah. They're still prepared to pull out the troops, I reckon. <laughs> Thank you, Viv. Thanks again, Viv. Remember the battle for Bentley? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.